So this morning we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 15 and the challenge of fatherhood. And I'm glad there is a Father's Day because it gives us a chance to honour, to celebrate to those who have lived to their calling even when the going got tough. And this is irrespective of whether our fathers are still around or they are now no longer with us. And it's great when you know that your father was a believer and you are a believer and one day you will meet them, you will meet again in eternity. Fatherhood has had a, a bad rap for a few years now, hasn't it? And especially in the West. You might have noticed that in, in many sitcoms and, and, uh, and cartoons and animated series, fathers are not portrayed in the most encouraging ways. On many of these so-called TV family shows, you'll find that the father is usually portrayed as somewhat of a dysfunctional yet lovable misfit. And, uh, and this is a, a stereotype that we are dealing with. And yes, perhaps some fathers do fit that, that mould, Right? But not, and, and, and maybe even not everyone has good memories of their fathers. And on a day like today, they, they prefer to ignore it altogether and not dwell on it too much. But I believe that the majority are good fathers trying to do the best they can in challenging and difficult times. So let's look at the best way we can, uh, what it means to be a, an earthly father, but look at it also what it must be like for our heavenly father. And there are a lot of stereotypes about him as well. He's an old man with a grey beard sitting on a wheelchair, you know, just pointing the finger at us all the time. What is he really like though? Is that, is that the scriptural presentation of God, our father? And today we will look at this very familiar story known as the prodigal son. This parable that Jesus told us is really about the relationship between us and our creator God, our father. So we ask the questions, what are, what are the things that you do that make your father miserable? Then we are going to look at the things that you do to bring joy to your father. So firstly, three things that make him sad. The first thing we want to say is that if you want to make your father sad is withdraw from his love. In verse 12, the father give me my share of the estate. Pretty sure the son was thinking about this move for a while. Finally, he wakes up one morning and confronts the old man with this demand. Now, there is nothing wrong with a child leaving home. When the time is right, it's expected and natural. But the impression here is that this son left before he was ready and he left not in good terms as he demands the share of his wealth way before 
He was ready. There were, as you can imagine, other options available to him. He could have asked for some spending money to go away for a while. No, he wants his whole share of the estate now, not when dad dies, not when the estate, the reading of the will, he wants it now. He couldn't wait for that. He wanted to get away now, to run away, to get away from the family, from his father as quickly as possible, to make a clean break. Let me say that if you want to make a dad miserable and break his heart, just make it clear to him by your actions and attitudes that you don't care about his love, that you don't want to be around him, that you're tired of his advice, you don't want to listen to him and that you are now in charge of your life and that you have a right to your own space. When there are those times that you do need dad's help, don't ask, demand it. Works every time. And after it is done, don't say thank you. After all, it is his job and it is your right. You didn't ask to be brought into this world. That was his choice and your mum's choice, right? And when you have an argument with him, tell him that you hate him and run away. If you do these things, I can guarantee you, you will break his heart. Now I wonder how many times, as God's children, we have withdrawn from the Father's love as well. We really don't want him around because he cramps our style too restrictive. In other words, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And this is despite the fact that we know how much he loves us and how much he has done for us. But the temptation to do our own thing, to not trust him, to to believe that he's holding out on us, to go our own way and far away, that is just too strong, it's too great. And this whole rebellious spirit started way back in Genesis chapter 3. The second way is to take advantage of his generosity. So he divided, the father divided his property between them. Many of the fathers here have grown up in a time, in a generation, and in a place, in a country, where we didn't have very much at all. And our fathers... And, and, and mothers made a choice, in my case, some 50 years ago, 
to leave the country of our birth in difficult circumstances and go to a country where they didn't understand the language, it was a different culture, to provide for a better future for their children and grandchildren. Some of you have had to leave war-torn countries because of the danger for your own life and that of your own family. And think about it, those of you who are in Australia now, would you really leave, sell up everything and, and move to another country? Would you, be, would you be that brave? And I think back on my own parents and I say, my goodness, how brave was that? Right? I know, because some of you here understand what it's like. And the, and the pain of separation from your family back home to, to be uprooted and to go to a place where you don't know anybody. But you don't have to be born in another country, in another culture to understand what it was like. You talk to many Australians who lived 50, 60 years ago and they will tell you that they didn't have very much either. And somehow over the years we have built this prosperous nation through sacrifice and God's Above all things, God has, has blessed us in so many different ways. Where we now, we have a click of a button. Click of a button for this and click of a button for that and, and it's all there. We can go to a supermarket and have a, a selection of cereals and milks and cheeses and breads and so on and so forth. Flushing toilets, running water, electricity. You tell sometimes the stories to your kids and your grandkids, they don't really understand what you're talking about. This is a world of abundance. This is what, it, this is what abundance looks like. Like never before. And you can make a dad miserable by having the wrong attitude towards the material things. And picture dad just like an ATM. And you know what? You know what happens is that ungrateful children grow up to be ungrateful dads and mums and adults as well. So maybe 40, 50 years since the wealth of this, this country is it's just unbelievable, right? And, and those ungrateful kids or children from 30, 40 years ago have grown up to be ungrateful, entitled adults today. And this is what we are seeing. And we see this behaviour where rather than being, being thankful for all of God's blessings... No, the government has to provide for me now. Forget about God, it's the government that has to supply my needs according to its riches in glory, right? But you know, I wonder, I wonder how many times we have not appreciated the many blessings that our Heavenly Father 
has given into our hands. Sort of picture our fatherly, our Father God like a, like a Santa Claus who is there to give us what we want. And when he has given them to us, especially in a country like this, we have worshipped those things like an idol and forgotten the generosity of the giver, who is God. Worse than that, we complain when he doesn't give us what we wanted. I wanted a four-bedroom house, not a three-bedroom house, God. I know, I prayed that, right? And this is what we read in the Old Testament and, and, and you know what happened to them, right? This is from Numbers chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. The grumbling. Right? You know what it sounds like. Well, look what happened to the Israelites. Thirdly, trash his values. Trash his values, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. While he was away and, and while he was doing the wild thing, the prodigal son was doing exactly the opposite of, of everything that he had learnt at home. He obviously felt that at home he was, he was missing out. So now he was going to do it all. And for a while, things were great. But when the money ran out, so did his friends. It seems that in 2,000 years since Jesus told this parable, not much has changed. How many kids end up in a pigsty because they felt they were missing out on something? You see the pictures now. You see the images in the streets in uh, San Francisco, in America, now in Australia. Kids hooked up. Kids who grown up in, in respectable families hooked up on fentanyl, crouched up throwing up on the streets, living on the streets, and you're saying, wow, this is what the pig's tie looks like. Oh, but you don't understand the circumstances why they had to leave home. Maybe I don't. And maybe sometimes the circumstances of life would have been too difficult for all different reasons, right? But now... The life he's having away for him at a very early age. They're in their 20s, late teens. Look what happened. Here is a headline that is not uncommon today, unfortunately. Uh, 12-year-old 12 12 year sues dad over grounding and wins. After finding inappropriate pictures of his daughter on the web, an exasperated father grounded his 12-year-old daughter and refused to allow her to go on a three-day school trip. Her response was to sue him, and guess what? She won. In its infinite wisdom, the Quebec Superior Court has ruled that the punishment meted out 
by the girl's father was too severe and ruled in the minor's in the minor child's favour. And even though this last episode is just the latest in a long string of transgression because this child has been doing this for a while, Justice Susan Tezia overturned the father's grounding. Every godly father wants his children to know the Lord and to live by biblical standards. We want our kids to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and to follow on living the Christian life. We want them to be honest and to be sexually pure. We want them to stay away from drugs. We want them to marry a Christian and stay married for life and transmit those values to their kids. The teachings of Scripture were true then and they are true now. The Scriptures don't change according to the culture of the day or whether it's acceptable or not acceptable, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman. And and, and we don't want our kids to uh, obey these standards to satisfy satisfy our, our egos so that we have these poster kids, right? No, no, no. We do this for God's sake, for the child's sake. We want the best for them, for eternity's sake. Because we want them to, to live life to the fullest according to God's promises. And, and, and the privilege of being a Christian carries those responsibilities as well. What it means to be a child of God. So if you want to break your dad's heart, make sure you disobey his moral teachings and treat his principles with and beliefs with contempt. This in turn will have the effect of making your father ask himself every day, where did I go wrong? What should I have done differently? Maybe I was too soft. Maybe I was too hard. And the maybes, there's always a long list of those giving you advice about what you should and shouldn't have done. Now this type of rebellious behaviour is endemic, unfortunately, in all of humanity. And here, here all of us are guilty. That None of us are innocent. The Apostle Paul told us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody. We all have sinned. Difference is that God doesn't stay up all night wondering whether he's too tough or too weak or too soft. God doesn't have to second guess himself for he is perfect in the decisions he makes and the standards he has set. They are constant, they are true, they are just throughout all generations from beginning to end. This does not mean that we don't break God's heart when we withdraw our love from Him. 
God does, in, as, as you read the scriptures, you, you, you know that he cares for us, he loves us. God is not unfeeling. And when we tell him we don't want to be around him, that we'd rather be somewhere else than waste our time in prayer, waste time reading the Bible, that we waste, that we don't want to waste time going to church or be in fellowship with other children. Don't you think it, you know, it saddens his heart? As Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, says how many he wept over Jerusalem. Says how many times, like a hen gathers a chicken, I tried to bring you right. Jesus actually wept, right? We don't have an unfeeling God, and the whole immutability—it's called the immutability of God—is a whole theological study. So one day I'll have to preach on that. But for now, trust me, that's what. The scriptures talk about. Now, that's how to <laughs> sadden our father. But what about the things that will bring him joy? What are the things that will bring joy to our fathers? This story also tells us what this young man did to reverse his broken relationship with his dad. So, so here are uh, three ways. To make him glad, not only to bring him, to bring joy to our earthly father, but behind that is a, is an important lesson on how to bring joy to our eternal father. And this has eternal implications. Firstly, he desired a fellowship, a relationship with his father. He desired a relationship with his father, verses 17 to 18. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The very son who had earlier rejected his father's love now desires it. As so happens often in life, Circumstances change in the faraway country. There is a recession, unemployment, there is famine due to, you know, climate change. Suddenly his money is gone, so he takes a job feeding pigs, but even that is not enough to feed himself. He's hit. This is what rock bottom looks like. But thankfully, he is still alive. It's not too late. He's still alive. Suddenly he has one of those aha moments, right? Asking himself, what if I, if I ring dad and ask him to send more money? That's what I should do. Just get a phone, ring dad and say, dad, I run out of money, please send me some more. Is that what he did? No. He said to himself, what am I doing here? My father's servants, you know, dad has a business, he has a farm, plenty of people working for him, and here I am, nothing to eat. What I'm going to do is go to my father and say, 
I've blown it. I'm so, so sorry. Meanwhile, the father is waiting. He doesn't know this. And, and that's exactly what our Heavenly Father has done through Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.8 we read, But God demonstrates his own love for us, toward us, in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the pigsty, while we were still in the faraway land, Christ died for us. What will it take for us to yearn and desire our relationship with our Heavenly Father is a question. You know, maybe life for you is fine and dandy right now, so you have everything you need and feel you can do it on your own. So far, so good. Money hasn't run out. Health hasn't run out. But let me remind you of something that will run out is that your days and mine are ticking away. And the, the older you get, they tick away a lot quicker. The sand is running out on the hourglass, right? We are mortal beings running out of time. I hope that you, if you haven't done so already, that you have this awakening, this aha moment before you hit rock bottom or before it's too late and your life is gone. Secondly, verse 19, so firstly, he desired a relationship with the Father. Secondly, he humbled himself. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, we can see a very big difference between the way he left home and the way he is coming back home. He left well-dressed. He came back in rags. He left clean and smelling good. Come back dirty. He left arrogantly saying, give me. He comes back humbly saying, make me a servant. He left full of pride. He comes back humiliated. His time in the pigsty, in the school of the pigsty, taught him something that he could not learn or maybe refused to learn back home. He learnt humility. I must say, I must say that in my years of ministry, There have been many times I have seen people come back from the pigsty, the pit. They cheated death. But unfortunately their pride is still intact. I I find it absolutely bewildering, extraordinary in fact, as... You know, the lesson has been wasted. I feel like saying, you have learned absolutely nothing, have you? Right? Nothing at all. Still the same prideful person that left, you know, had all those experiences, come back and still, you know, you know, chest out, 
full of pride. But this prodigal son, he didn't shift the blame to society, to the government, to legislation or the economy or the friends that stole his money, perhaps. Or even he didn't even blame his dad who said, why did you let me go? I've heard that one as well. You should have been stricter, Dad. Why would you let me go? And he certainly didn't play the victim. Otherwise he would still be in the pigsty or even dead. Leaving home was easy. Coming back must have been pretty hard. So he needs to be commended for he, this is how he found his way back home. This is how he was healed. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Because he humbled himself in front of his father. The Bible tells us quite clearly in James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes. You want to come against God? Continue with your pride. Keep going. You'll see what happens. But if you come in humility, he will give you more grace for every day. To keep going. To come back. To be restored. To be healed. If you want to experience God's amazing grace, come with humility before him. He will forgive, he will restore, no matter what you've done. But it's not something I'm saying, this is something that God says to us. And thirdly, he accepted his authority in verse 19. And it says, make me like one of your hired men. The fact that he was willing to be considered like one of the hired men tells me that not only did he come back with a humble spirit, but he also came back ready and willing to submit to dad's authority once again. Hired men don't give orders to the boss. That's the way it works. They obey. Here there was no questioning of his fairness or, or otherwise. I'm coming back, dad, but these are the conditions, right? Now, he had nothing to lean on except the mercy and the grace of the Father. In turn, he found a father only too willing. Even before, even before he spoke a word, the father was only too willing to forgive. Quick, bring the best robe, ring, sandals, fattened calf. It appears the only ones who aren't happy here are the eldest brother, the eldest son, and the fattened calf. For everybody else, it seems to be a party time. Yes, obviously, this wasn't a vegetarian household. You know, and, and yes, the, this parable here 
up to verse 24, has a happy ending. But real life, it is not all happiness. There is bitterness and jealousy that flares up in the rest of the, the story, isn't there? The father's joy, the father's great joy is, is tempered with the eldest son's issues. Unlike, unlike the old sitcoms where the whole issue on the family, the Brady Bunch and Leave it to Beaver, whatever it was, is resolved in half an hour. Many times, real life is not like that, is it? The issues linger on. Sometimes it takes years and deep hurts that never get resolved and the sores that never get healed. And sometimes, yes, it is too late to say sorry, to make amends. The issues have remained unresolved because they are no longer with us. If you think that going to the funeral to your to your dad's or your loved one's funeral is going to resolve the issue to have closure, it's not it. There are issues, resolve them now. While there is still opportunity. Well there's something much more serious than that, and that has to do with eternity, where we take we step up a level and the if you're still here, if you're still alive, if you're still breathing, there is still time to mend our relationship with our Heavenly Father today. While you have time, while He still waits, while you still have breath in your lungs. I wonder how many out there, not just earthly, not just earthly fathers, need to be reconciled to their heavenly father. Sons, daughters, mums, dads, they need to be reconciled to their heavenly father. And if so, you need to hear the promise from Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not my promise, this is God's promise. This is what... God has given us through Jesus Christ. This is what communion is about because we celebrate our great salvation. That we believe that Jesus is Lord. We have submitted to his lordship. And we want to continue this life in relationship with him which will flourish and and, and be never-ending in eternity. Meanwhile, we, we gladden the Father's heart if we are obedient to his word. We like to be in his house with his other children. We gladden the Father's heart when we are truly thankful from the heart for his mercy, for his grace, sustaining grace, his providence. And we gladden the Father's heart when we bring other lost sons and daughters to his feet so that they too may be reconciled to him. That is the message of the gospel. So that we hear more good stories, good endings. And it's all because of him, because of his love for us. Amen.